Hey, everyone. If you like what we do, make sure to give us a like and a rating and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, we will be able to keep going and talk about the stuff that we love, which is about animation and anime. Now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is the animation guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And we've got Teresa. Hello. And we have some unfinished business. This is part two of our winter 2022 anime recap. This time, we are covering the sports anime and action adventure. Before we get started, just your overall impressions of uh, this batch of shows. Cameron, I'll start with you. Oh, boy. We... I apparently saved us the worst for this episode. I, that tends to happen more and more, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd be lying if I said I disagreed with that. Now, that's not to say there's there aren't any good shows. There are probably some of the best shows this season here. But with all that said, we had to sit through a lot. <laughs> not yeah. anything really specific, just... A lot. <laughs> Teresa, what about you? Your general impressions well, of this batch? I don't know. Maybe my my tolerance is getting better, but it wasn't that bad. When it was bad, I was like, okay, it wasn't offensive. So I guess I call it a win. When it was, I was more meh, um, kind of like the last batch, but I definitely went through them more quickly. There's that. I'd say with this batch, unlike our part one, these are the shows that have the, not necessarily the lowest lows. There's just one show here that's genuinely awful. And I can list at least three or four shows that I really like. But first, we have to start with the sports. I wouldn't call this the worst batch of sports anime, especially since we had a spring 2021 to deal with. Yeah, that's a good point. Only one of them was really just mediocre, but even then, it wasn't like, oh, that battle victory restart or whatever that one we we covered last year. That was like a reboot of an old anime and such. And then, of course, like Burning Comedy and then the underwhelming cheapness and just roughness of Farewell, My Dear Kramer. Yeah, that one. But speaking of that... We do have apparently one of three soccer anime this year that we are going to be covering. That's amazing. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to that first. So this first one we're going to talk about is Futsal Boys. It's a a mixed media project. Mm. So obviously there's going to be like a mobile game. Whether we get that or not, well... I'm assuming the success of this show is going to make that a fate for it because there are anime out there that were supposed to be based on a mobile game or some kind of game. That just never happened. Yeah, and then just like the game never came out because it got canceled or something. So it's like, well, (laughs) uh, it's no different than like the, uh, the failed animated pilots that were like all throughout the eighties and early nineties and such. 
So, so it's directed by Yukina Hiro. It's written by Shoji Yonemura, and it's produced by Dio Media. Haru Yamato was never interested in futsal ever since the sport gained international fame 10 years ago. However, a chance to watch Japanese futsal players Toki Nari Tanoji compete at the U18 World Cup completely changed his perspective. When given the opportunity to hit, uh, on his first day at Koyo Gakuin High School, Haru enthusiastically joins the futsal club. There, he meets a variety of talented players, including Captain Toy Tsukioka, who was part of the same U18 team as Tenoji. Despite having a dynamic roster, the Koyo Futsal Club has a long way ahead when it comes to assembling a team that can stand up to powerhouse opponents, especially for Haru, who is a total beginner to the sport. It's just a very generic sports anime. You've seen these characters before. I kind of called it in the group chat a mediocre version of Skate the Infinity. Not because it's like a, it has like skateboarding or anything related to it, but just the two main character dynamics. Because we got the ever-present fiery redhead character, and then we have the, the more secluded, closed-off, blue-haired boy. <laughs> one with the icy cold shoulders and such. And they don't do anything different. Nothing. Nothing really stands out about this one. Uh, Teresa, what did you think? Uh, I have to say I agree. Um, I was actually more impressed than I thought it would be when they were playing soccer. I thought that they captured the action. And when they were playing, I thought that was, you know, very interesting. As far as I am not a super soccer football fan, but it kept my attention. I understood what was going on. So I call that a win for anime sports. The plot is just too thin for me. And it's almost like a K-drama on the soccer field. And I just rather have one or the other. I did like the MC guy when we start seeing the fresh competition, the hurricane guy. I was like, finally, there's a character with some personality. I'm entertained, finally. Blue haired guy, he's very grumpy. Um, <laughs> he's a little bit of a jerk. He won't share the ball and he needs to get over himself. I do like the setup of the, the rich kind of spoiled politician high school team. They will probably be a good foe if I was going to continue. I, I probably won't. Some of the characters, I was like, who is that again? And then I decided I wasn't going to learn most of the names besides Haru um, and I believe Sakaki. Haru, red hair guy, he's, I like his ambitions. I like his dreams and he's, he's a little overexcited, but it gets a little boring and generic after a while, but he means well. So I wasn't like, thoroughly bored the whole time but i was like uh it needs some work it does feels like a show that's been cobbled together by other plots that we've seen before uh mike what did you think first of all i gotta say it feels so obvious that this is like based on a mobile game or you know some sort of multimedia project that's kind of why you see little moments of like a little extra visual flair during this like the soccer sequences and that was really the only part that really held my attention because everything else was really been there, done that. I think the character that I disliked the most was uh, Sakaki, the, 
the mm-hmm. blue haired guy. Uh-huh. This show just really does a really bad job at replacing hair color for uh, personality. That's really the only <laughs> the only way you can tell these characters apart and as- assume like what kind of characters they are by the color of their hair. Like yes, of course the redhead is is like the fiery, passionate player, while um, the blue haired guy is like you know the worst. Yeah. So no, I do not recommend this one like you said earlier it's not quite as bad as like the spring 2021 shows but it's still just a a bowl of nothing the one really interesting production hook of this show is that the opponent teams have all these characters that are designed by different manga artists Mm. and specifically female manga artists that was a big marketing push for this one and well too bad the production values kind of shoot that down because due to how blah and bleh everything looks what could have looked distinct and unique does not and yeah i did not like how the the soccer ball was pretty much cgi it at points looked like someone was just dragging it around with a mouse on the screen. And I'm just trying to remember something distinct about the show that's at least worth mentioning. I mean, I think it's kind of funny that they're like this sport is big enough to have futsal bullies. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I just think that's really interesting. Like, really? <laughs> you, you bullies really want to bully people for like with because of this sport? Don't you like? Are you guys like low on the totem pole of bullies or something? <laughs> and to be clear, when we do these podcasts, we're just talking about our impressions with like the first three or more episodes if we decide to watch them. You just know what kind of story this is going to be. And then like there's this one character who has a dark past with the game. And then it with the cliffhanger of the third episode, it's like, oh no, is he going to make it in time? And it's like, you know what's going to happen. This doesn't have the lighthearted innocence of Bakuden, aka Backflip. It doesn't have the likability um, factor of Remain. And while it does look better than Farewell, My Dear Kramer, it still just looks kind of okay. Nothing great, but I don't know. I feel like if you're making this anime to market your game or whatever you're doing with it, you should at least invest enough into it so it looks the best that it can to be like, oh, wow, this anime looks great. I'll try the game out. But, you know, these don't have to be bad. Once again, Princess Connect Redive does a great job of just being the marketing show that it is for the mobile game and just franchise in general. But it's still just a great show on its own to watch. Now, let's get into one that I think everyone was looking forward to because it was going to be by the Akudama Drive team, a.k.a. the Danganronpa people. So let's talk about Tribe 9, the other Funimation co-production for this season. <sighs> okay, it's directed by Yu Aoki. It's written by Michiko Yokote and produced by Leiden Films. And they are doing two of the three sports anime this 
season. Wonder what happened with them to end up with both. Fed up with society, youngsters all around Neo-Tokyo formed tribes to find their place in the world. However, group loyalty among them grew fierce and often led to violence. As a countermeasure, the government implemented the XB law, stating that the tribe conflict is to be resolved through extreme baseball. I guess they saw what happened with Hypnosis Mike and decided to say like, hey, we can do that with baseball. (laughs) From players using extendable bats to pitchers wearing special equipment, extreme baseball is a futuristic version of the sport with modified rules, less restrictions, and bizarre applications of technology. When a group of youngsters bullies spineless Haru Shirokane, he is saved by an unexpected pair, Shun, Kamiya, and Taiga. As it turns out, Shun is a star player of extreme baseball who leads the Minato tribe, the top-ranked team in Minato City. Meanwhile, Taiga aims to defeat Shun in hope of becoming the strongest in the sport. In a string of spontaneous events that allow Shun to discover their potential, Taiga and Haru are roped into joining the Minato tribe. As the tribe across Minato City face a new threat led by the mysterious Orijiro Otori, the Minato tribe might just need the power of their two new rookies to overcome the clutches of evil. I'll say this, I like this way more than Futsal Boys, but even if you know the people who are behind this, you kind of felt like there should have been more, but we'll get to that. Uh, Teresa, what did you think? I do like the other shows they've done, so maybe I'm biased, but it's a little confusing, I have to say. Even as someone who has actually played softball, I'm like, what is happening? In terms of the rules, so thank God they eventually explained the rules in the second episode of the extreme baseball, which they love saying over and over again. It started out extremely dark with like bloody bodies piling up. And I was like, do I have the right genre show? I thought this was about sports, but then I was like, I guess it's all connected. The premise, it's a little far stretched, but once I had the rules, I was like, I, I guess if you want to make peace, why why not with baseball? It's the crazier things have happened. I do like the umpire kind of, she seems almost like she's the team manager character with the two kind of ponytails. I like that she's giving other characters shit, trying to get them in line. I, of course, like our mysterious, weird hero who's allergic to caffeine. As I, I am also allergic to caffeine. So I was like, why do you keep drinking? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Who wants that pain? And also, why is it a story point? I thought that was a little weird. It started to bore me, though, when we got, before the bad guy showed up, I was like, what is going to happen in this show? And then the weird demon kind of almost like zombie army people show up and I was like okay what's gonna happen maybe I want to watch another episode the three ended weird I feel like the tone there's a little something wrong with the tone but I'm not completely turned off by it I want to know what the Irish guy sounds like in Japanese I watched the dub and I was gonna go back and watch and I was like I don't have time but I'm like is he Irish in the Japanese version like or is this just a weird dub thing to get us on board and give him character i guess i'll have to go back and see all righty uh mike what did you think so before i say my full thoughts i will i do have to point out that yes i also watched the dub for this as well and there are a couple shows that we're talking about tonight that in which i watched the dub so part of me is wondering if that 
affected my opinion on these shows one way or another. What I can say about this one is I think the concept of extreme baseball is A, very anime. So it's kind of perfect for this medium. I just wish this was, I think what this show is missing is a little more polish. They have the right idea. They have a great concept and I like the characters. The voice cast for the English dub is great. They got Casey Mangelo as uh, Haru. Corpse Husband gets to play uh, the main villain and he's great. I can't quite put my finger on why I didn't love the show. Maybe the animation just needed a little, a little bit more polish. Maybe this would have stood out a little bit more if someone like Studio Trigger or maybe even Nappa took over production. I think watching these first three episodes will give you a good enough a good enough gauge of whether or not you want to continue. Yeah, I mean, like, the main appeal of this show is pretty much, what if baseball was made by a five-year-old? And basically, it's like, okay, so these these guys, they use mech suits to pitch the ball, and then this guy uses a lightsaber baseball bat, and, like, if you hit the top of the Japanese tower, that's, like, an instant home run winning game thing. Like... It sounds fun, and it is fun. The characters have their own distinct personalities and designs. Again, this is the Danganronpa people, so of course they, the design should be there. And yeah, the English voice cast is pretty fantastic. And yeah, Casey Mangelo, who y'all would have heard as Shinji in the Netflix dub version of Evangelion. Yeah, it was a really big marketing like piece of... Ojiro being voiced by Corpse Husband, and he does a great job. I I love seeing new talent come in and being and just doing a very good job, like with their first voice acting gig. It's always just delightful when everything just works. It works. It's just a ton of fun to watch, and they've obviously set up a certain kind of lore and world building with the different tribes and how everything here has to be solved with baseball again. It's like hypnosis, Mike. Everything had to be solved with rap battles. (laughs) Um, But I do think Leiden Films did not give this one the time, or the production committee did not give Leiden Films the time to really stretch this one to its fullest. Because while the animation is fine, you expect it to look better, especially after watching Akudama Drive and just how stylish and fun and energetic that was. And here it's just like, it looks like every other kind of anime with a eh, production value. And it's a shame because I think a lot of people were looking forward to this. And so far Funimation is two out of three uh, co-productions that are just not panning out. At least to me. I mean, like, if you had to watch a sports anime this season, that's not the one that we're going to be talking about next. I definitely recommend Tribe 9. It's just, it could have been so much better. And once again, if we can get a new deal for animation for Japan's animation industry, that would be fantastic. Because otherwise, we're going to see a bunch of promising projects not be given the time and the talent and the room to breathe that they need but now we got to talk about 
probably the biggest surprise of the season. Salaryman's Club, or it's also known as Ryman's Club. The uh, one of two badminton anime that we're getting this year. Kind of interesting that this year it's just kind of given us multiple genres of one type of sports. We're getting three soccer shows and two badminton shows. And next season, we're getting a dancing anime. So this is an original anime directed by Aimi Yamauchi. It's written by Yamauchi and Teruko Usumi, and it's produced by Leiden Films. Salaryman's Club is set in a badminton business group, depicting the two different aspects of daily life as a salaryman, as well as growth and conflicts as players. The anime follows Makoto Shiratori, a prodigy badminton player who suffers from a trauma following a loss at the Inter High Tournament. He becomes a salaryman at the Sunlight Beverage Company and befriends Tatsuru Miyazumi, the best performing player and salesman in the team. Once again, we got another surprise that just kind of came out of nowhere. This was the one anime that was coming out later than everyone else, which was kind of worrying because of just how stretched thin the anime industry is. Because it was this one was taking the longest to come out. And it just made you kind of worry, or it made me worry a little. It's like, oh, what's the production value going to be? And then you watch the first episode, and it's like, oh, so this is where a lot of light in films talent and resources went. <laughs> oh, this one was fantastic. Teresa, what did you think? It was fantastic. I have played badminton in PE and I was thoroughly bored so I was a little skeptical but it won me over probably when he found his co-worker drunk in the hippo in the playground I was like this show's a little weird and I like it and it, it just kind of took off and there is a lot funnier than I expected um, and also the action of badminton I, it was like as strong as tennis so I was like I guess I've been giving badminton a, a bad rap and I just need an anime to win me over. Same thing with Slow Loop and Fishing. I'm not a fan, but that anime I was like, maybe I should fish again. I love the music. I thought the animation was great, especially the closing credits with the lizard. I was just, it's just adorable. So don't sleep on the closing credits. And in this case, there's a grumpy sunshine pair. Unlike in Futsal, I like it. They play off each other. They're making each other do better. Um, and the writing is just just so far and beyond. I will definitely continue it. And I would say, even if you're not into sports anime, I think you can get on board. It's funny enough and it balances just kind of almost coming of age, like learning to be in a part of a team time aspect, whether it's at work or playing badminton. And I loved it. Yeah, I would consider this the Bakuden of the season or maybe of the year, depending on how the other sports anime do, because it's the one that feels like it had the most cohesive and fleshed out world and characters with its writing and its dynamics. I love that third episode where they are celebrating and then our main character just gets beyond hammered and basically tears everyone a new one. And then just thanks them afterwards, but then also does not praise his partner. 
I thought that that part was just hilarious to me. And it almost felt like this was like a Cloverworks anime with the visual quality and just the animation in general with the designs and such. They were able to make like characters that you would think you've seen before feel fresh and original. Uh, Mike, what did you think? Yeah, jumping off that last point, the dynamic between our two main characters, uh, Mikoto and uh, Tatsuru, this is basically like the futsal boy dynamic, but done so much better. What makes for a great sports anime, you have have more in there than just the sport. I do kind of like the idea that we're following a company sports team so that everything revolving around Batman is basically equally as important as everything going on in like the main business. That opens the door for a lot of great story possibilities for all of the characters. I was not expecting to love this show much as I did, but I love all of the characters. I love like each of their own like dynamics. I even like the moments that have nothing to do with badminton that are like just kind of focused on like like the everyday work environment. Even, even like in episode three when they're going on that business trip, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, this show really won me over. Yeah, this show does a great job at balancing the sports and the business side of things because you would think like, how are they going to balance this out? And yet they find a way to make the corporate side of their life just as interesting as the sport, because otherwise we'd be just kind of waiting for them to get to the sports. And again, it's just like Bakuden. And I had to make sure that like, if this wasn't the same team that made it and it's not, but it's like, they took what everyone loved about Bakuden and used that with the likability of the characters, the writing, the drama, the balancing of tone and comedy and characters and used badminton instead and aged up the characters because this is one of the few anime that I can think of this season that has young adults as the focus. But yeah, this is a really special anime. I am so happy that this anime exists. I have become consistently impatient waiting for a new episode of this show to drop and i was so happy and everyone i've told about this show have put it on their list to watch so that's a good sign that people have been reacting positively to it which is more than we can say about this next show Ugh. We keep doing this. We talk about one of the greatest shows of the season, and then we go right back down to the worst. <laughs> We're going to start our action-adventure section, the worst genre category of this season. Hip, hip, hooray, and just groan <laughs> in anger. <laughs> Let's talk about Rusted Armors. Content warning. In the first two episodes... There is a lot of transphobic and homophobic moments. Um, we haven't even gone to the CGI yet. All right. So this is a multimedia project that is based on a, uh, a thing called a 2.5D stage play, which, you know, I thought technically stage plays were 2.5D, but whatever. And it has a set of manga, like two different manga, one 
that's illustrated by Hagi and another one that's by Kairi Shimotsuki. And this anime is directed by Shinmei Kawahara. It's written by Ohine Izaki and produced by Kigumi. Okay, let's get this out of the way. The anime adaptation of Rusted Armors, a multimedia project that first started with a stage play and a manga adaptation. We just said that. Ugh. The project focuses on the relationship between the gun-toting Makoichi, who is the leader of the Saika Iki mercenary group, and the Sengoku-era warlord Oda Nobunaga. Oh my god. Oh my god, this freaking show. <laughs> That's the synopsis. Just that whole thing. <laughs> Oh my goodness, can we stop with the lesson of let's not make more X-Arms. Just stop it. Quit it. <laughs> I'm into it. Okay, so um, yeah, you know, I'll start. Sure. When we were going through the first part of this season, I was pretty ready to just say, oh, yeah, police in a pod and was going to be the worst or like the strongest sage with the weakest crest because it has scenes like, oh, this is a sword imbued with magic, but nobody knows how to use it. Are you telling me these people don't know how to use a sword? (laughs) You You stab people, you poke people, you cut tomatoes with it. It's a sword. Stop using it as a like a doorstop and i'm sure the show meant that nobody knew how to use the magic of the sword but still (laughs) it's like if that was just going to be the worst that we had to deal with i was ready for it i was fine with that i was ready like i was willing to accept that boring and mediocre were going to be the worst of what we'd have to deal with and then rusted armors came in and said hey hold my beer i can be so much worse uh, Teresa, what did you think? Not my favorite. Um, that's for sure. Yes, I was just con- so confused with the transphobic because I was like, what is, why? And then they just never, well, in the first three episodes that I saw, they just kind of don't really talk about it again. And I'm like, what was the point? I will have to say that, yes, the, the animation is terrible. And I just, I feel like they should have known other shows that had the bad animation. Maybe it's just so cheap. They just really wanted to go for it because it seems like a passion project, but I'm like, just learn from others, learn from others' mistakes. Like you're saying, honestly, I was very into the travelogue at the end after the credits. And that's a bad sign. If I care more about them being goofy and doing a fake, like little travel show of like where they were inspired. Like I was like, they really put some thought into the show. Like they seem to love it. And then I'm just like, just do that. Don't do this story. And actually the story sounds cool. Like I maybe would have seen that play, but the way it's executed is I just don't care about any of the, the, the tribe until we get to the mysterious guy and then i'm like oh he's cool let's go watch him and have him school and then he just like disappears into the forest i'm like no come back um and i know he's watching and he has spies or whatever and i'm sure he's gonna circle back but i just can't suffer through another episode so sorry guy but i honestly like they were there i like the beach recreation of them like discovering amnesia guy and because at first i was like 
why is there always some rando blonde? Like, what period is this? And I was like, oh, he washed up on the shore. Okay, I get that. And I like the historical kind of nods saying like the conquistadors are coming and I like magic in my swords and things like that. Like I love Inuasha, but just everything was bad. So I, I don't recommend it. I can't with good conscience recommend it to anybody. Oh gosh. And you know what the worst part is? We are with another situation where the main animation production company, Kigumi, have never worked in anime before. Oh, that's why they didn't learn lessons. No, anime industry. Yeah. I know the, uh, the apparent demand for more anime is apparently big enough to keep burning out your animators. But this is only going to make things worse. And I don't care that one of the main characters is apparently voiced by someone who was in like either My Hero Academia or Demon Slayer. I really don't care. And I, yeah, those travelogue things are just weird. It's just like, I okay. I thought it was kooky and I was like, well, it's entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it's the most entertaining part, at least. And, but man, oh, <laughs> they, the CGI while looking slightly better than what uh, like X Arm and oh, what was that other one from the fall lineup? A uh, Tesla Note yeah. because the mouths actually move differently and mm-hmm. it looks like they actually tried to put in like the right data and com- like compositing for the animation at least. But everything looks like they just ripped a PS2 game. Like, like from like that time period where the PlayStation 2 was just like the experimental dumping ground for different art styles and, and types of games. And it's like they took this, they took like these models from a cell shaded PS2 action game or something and then just plopped them against 2D backgrounds. And then the villains look like something from Fire Emblem. <laughs> uh, Mike, what do you have anything to add? really the show is just it's bad it's not as bad as like x-arm because that will forever be the brown standard of like this 2.5d animation at least while the dg character models look bad and awful at least they're more consistent than the ones in x-arm but like if that's the only praise i can give this show other than, yeah, I was kind of entertained by the silly uh, travelogues. Other than that, the show, no, no matter how interesting like the story was trying to be, I just, like, the animation was so bad. On top of the random transphobia in the first couple episodes that, again, never gets brought up again after, after, episode, after like, the third episode. I can't, I, I, I can't keep doing this each season. Like, after, after X-Arm, after Tesla Note, like, guys, you gotta get your shit together. We can't have another one of these. And I don't care anymore that people find these fun to watch. I'm sorry, but hate watching does not give the right response to the industry because, you know, we had that disastrous infamous Ari Ferretta adaptation 
you know, the anime that was supposed to be released in 2018 got pushed to 2019 because it had to, they fired and let go of their directors and then got new ones with a studio that was less talented. And then it turned out to be like a super huge dumpster fire. And yet for some reason, because people hate watched it or were huge fans of the light novels and we'll, we'll have a discussion about light novel adaptations in the, in a little bit. And it just ended up like, oh, hey, I guess y'all want a season two. And it's just like, no, <laughs> I'm sorry it didn't work out the first time, but stop trying to replicate this stuff. Stop replicating X-Arm. X-Arm was a failure. The manga that it was supposed to advertise got canceled two weeks before the show aired. So now the production company and committee were stuck with an anime that nobody was going to watch or like. And considering that it has a 3.24 on my anime list, everyone is, has, has had it. Not even hate watchers are going to tolerate this. And then it just, the writing is just not good. There's that one scene where it does like a flashback with one of the main characters meeting the, the lead character for the first time. And he's like, okay, he's sh- he washed up on shore from the ocean. I got to resuscitate him. But that means <gasps> I got to put my lips on another man's mouth. And he was like hesitant to do so. And it's like, dude, <laughs> put down your macho card for a second and help this person out. Otherwise, you are looking like the worst person in the room right now. This is just the worst anime of the season. And it's easily going to like sit at number one for the worst anime of the year so far. Oh, yeah. At least our police in a pod had the two uh, lead characters. At least Futsal Boys was not a giant train wreck. At least the strongest sage with the weakest crest knew what it wanted to be, a soulless power fantasy. At least it committed to that. It's not trying to do more than what this show is doing. Let's just move on (laughs) to a adaptation that a lot of people were looking forward to because it's just based on a manga that's amazing to look at. Just wow. And then just crashed upon landing requiem of the rose king uh cw there's a lot of attempted rape heads up going into it and yes it's based off of a shakespeare play i i I guess apparently people are like well you should expect that and it's just like oh come on guys no (laughs) you didn't have to make it so frequent anyway it's based off of the manga by aya kano and the Adaptation is directed by Kentaro Suzuki, written by Hiroki Uchida, who we're going to, that name we're going to see a whole lot, and produced by JC Staff. Oh, golly, JC Staff. We were just defending you for seeing a bit of harmony, and then you make this happen. The crown of England has been hotly contested throughout history, and in the Middle Ages, a serial of great civil wars became known as the War of the Roses. Claiming a right to the throne, the Duke of York seeks to unseat King Henry VI and his heir in order to become king himself. On a dark day filled with many ill omens, the Duke gains a son, Richard uh, Plantagenet, third of his name. 
neither male nor female, but instead possessing characteristics of both sexes, Richard III is immediately reviled by his mother. Her hatred defines his childhood, leading to a deep disgust towards his own body and an adverse reaction to being called a demon. Yeah, we'll get to freaking that. Uh, Richard grows up troubled by visions of England's former foe, Joan of Arc, who taunts that he will bring ruin to all who know him. He believes that he can attain salvation by helping his father achieve his destiny of becoming the king. However, cursed by the expectations of both his mother and Joan, will Richard's actions instead drag his family down into darkness? Definitely dragged the adaptation of the manga down into darkness. Uh, Teresa, what did you think? Yeah, I fell asleep on this one a bunch, so not a fan. I struggled. The whole first episode was moving very quickly, and I was like, am I supposed to know this? Is this like common knowledge history? Then I was like, no, it's not. So they should slow down. I like, you know, kind of like that what we watched last season with like the little boy king and he's like trying to prove himself like i like oh, yeah, ranking underdog. yeah i like those underdog stories so i was like give it a chance maybe and i'm not afraid of like witches magic like all that on the surface i was like okay but then when they're really tapping into the transphobia just calling the demon because he doesn't look the same I was like I think I'm almost out and it had barely started and I was like this could have been done well and it just wasn't I feel like there was like something to explore and like update from the play and possibly maybe maybe the manga is better I have not read it but they just kind of slap dashed it in there I wasn't sure who he's talking to, uh, like the the people saying, I was like, these voices in his head, are these real witches? If it is real witches, I want more. It's not quite enough explained. And then they just, it's just like war, war, war. And then the third, you know, when they've sort of won um, and the sneaky lady shows up, then it's like weird sex in the woods. And I was like, oh gosh, Um, I thought we were moving past, (laughs) past the offensiveness. Um, and I could see how some people could be making excuses if they know the source material and things like that. And it's medieval times, but there's an opportunity to update and they, they didn't. Um, I don't think we see enough of the dad. Um, I, I know it's probably some magic and there are, there's some betrayal with, with the, you know, the two houses and he's in love with this woman who clearly hates him, the new King brother. And I'm just like, are you really going to be an idiot? And then I was thinking about King Arthur and Guinevere and I was like, yeah, he's going to be an idiot. That's where we're going. I'm vaguely curious to see how it keeps going. I'm like, could it get better? Probably not. And I would say if you've read the manga, you're probably going to watch. If you haven't and you really like kind of medieval stories, like maybe give an episode and you don't mind a bunch of war happening unexplained, maybe. Um, but for me, I'm probably not going to continue. Yeah, apparently this is a very popular manga. And a lot, like I said earlier, a lot of people love it for its art. And the art, if you look at manga images of it, it looks amazing. It was okay. Like I was like, I kind of get it unconventional. Um, so it did captivate my eye. It's just the story is weak. That's the problem. And 
I know this anim- this manga is based off of again Shakespeare, and yet they really just wanted to fill in at so much tragedy, like every five minutes. It's like our main character gets out of one situation. He's like, "Okay, can I breathe? Can I go get a sandwich?" And then here comes more trauma, and it's like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> uh, Mike, what did you think? Yeah, this show. This show is the reason why I wanted to bring up dub bias, because a, I do think it it exists, especially for anime that is more Western influenced. And I haven't actually watched the the Romeo X Juliet, but that was like that was one of the first shows that I was thinking about when it comes to anime adaptations of popular Shakespeare plays. I was kind of worried that the show was going to be as um, infamous as that. I'll say this, there is a lot in this show to criticize. Like, yeah, the the transphobia does get a bit much. All of this talk of Richard being, you know, the demon child, and he's kind of like the black sheep of the family. But I think if, if you are a fan of the manga, or just Shakespeare in general, then I can see the anime being as popular as the manga. And who knows, I might continue watching this one just out of sheer curiosity, but if the manga's better, then I might have to just look into that. That's what, that's what most people say. Like, if you aren't enjoying the anime, give the manga a read. And I know we've kind of snarked back at that, but this is one of those times where I'm like, you know, you're right. <laughs> the biggest no, problem with the show is the pacing i don't think they know no. what that word means because in the first episode they give you like so much plot in like 24 minutes and then the passage of time is just it makes little to no sense so confused it was very confusing and really hard to follow and another thing that does really bog down this show is the animation style why I love the watercolor backgrounds and then sometimes there would be like a cool visual note and such. It almost got to points where they were just trying as hard as they could to not animate anything. Just a lot of standing around very much like a way of the house husband way of tackling it, which is funny because JC staff also handled that disaster from last year, even though Everyone says, oh, it's not its fault it marketed itself as anime instead of a motion comic. And it's like, well, still, they could have just animated it. It would have taken less time to do so. Anyway, they really just cheap out all over the place. And I don't know if it's just because of a director or a team that weren't given the time to do so. Or maybe the producer was just like, let's just do as little animation as possible. There were there are so many like faceless characters that it really got distracting. And it's like, okay, fine. That's okay to do in a persona game, not an anime, <laughs> unless they're just extremely way off in the background. But these characters were these faceless monsters were all over the place. And it's like if they weren't a main character, then it's just like faceless. And then there were like times where the dialogue was like, oh my God, he's so pretty. And it's like, really? What makes him prettier than the other person to the left? Yeah, his brothers are pretty too. I was like, okay. Everyone's pretty. And I know this show isn't technically boy love, 
but it has a it does. like a hint of boy love to it. It's more of a period drama, and I wish the drama wasn't so heavy on everyone treating our main character like a monster. I I feel like there was a better way to go about that. And kudos to the English dub cast for this show. They are doing their hardest to make this as compelling as possible. And they are doing a great job reading what this sounds like mostly third-rate Shakespeare. And it's like, I don't blame them for it. They're just reading what the script is. Sometimes, like, you'll see videos of voice actors, like, reading something, and then they're just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> like they, they're having to be like oh wait a minute what i'm reading is utter nonsense yes but i can't say this is the worst though it kind of skirts around to being like around the same level of rusted armor and and like the strongest sage of just being the worst of the season but i think with its visuals even as lackluster as they are it's at least a little different looking. I'll at least give it that it looks like a mediocre clamp anime. Let's talk about Orient. The one of the main just pure action shows. So it's based off of the manga by Shinobu Otaka. It's directed by Tetsuya Yanagisawa, written by Mariko Kunisawa, and produced by ACGT. Freed from the rule of samurai 150 years ago, the people of Hinomoto live uh, peaceful lives and revere their liberators, demons, whose true forms remain elusive as gods. Fated to mine rocks for the demons to feast on, Musashi knows the grim truth. Humanity is enslaved by these otherworldly beings, and the samurai are the last bastion fighting for freedom. Hiding his true opinion from his uh, peers and growing distant from his childhood friend Kojiro Kanamaki, Musashi lives in angst until the day of his graduation. When the fresh graduates arrive at the mine, they are horrified to see the inhumane treatment of miners and the uncanny physical appearance of their overseers. However, Musashi manages to endure thanks to Kojiro's help. As the demon leader wrecks havoc on the quarry, Musashi is saved once more from certain death by the Takeda Samurai clan. Recovering from humiliation and yearning for adventure, Musashi embarks on a journey to become a samurai and form his own clan. Okay, so this show just... This show does not look good. I would give it credit for everything else that it has going for it if it didn't have such lackluster production values i thought this was like a gonzo studio production but it's not it just looks awful uh teresa what do you think yeah it's not great looking this is the one i I just finished it was not captivating me i would say that it's real shaky especially when they're on the motorcycle which confused me i was like it does a magic motorcycle i don't understand and then i just let it go um and i was like they go on motorcycles that's it i don't know why i was hung up on the motorcycle when the other bushy people show up and they're flying but i'm like magic sword fly makes sense weird motorcycle he's been hiding for years um doesn't make sense on paper 
the premise sounds okay. I like that they have a dream and they're trying to fight some demon overlords. I, I didn't mind the animation of the kitchen and the weird kind of cat monster people that the, was eating the miners, which is incredibly unsettling. I think I somehow missed in the first episode that the demons were like, like hiding. I thought they were like rumors or whispers. I didn't know they were literally like behind the gate, like eating people. And I was just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> when they revealed that, I was so confused. And I, you know, I like an underdog story. I like that they want to beat it up. I like that his friend came and saved him and they're going to go off on this adventure together. But honestly, they're a little bit boring. And I like the real bushy band people. And I wish the story would just go follow them. And I know the big bad, the first thing that they're going to take forever and it freaking day to kill it. But it took so long. And I don't know, I just have more patience when it's like Dragon Ball Z or Inuyasha because they like told me who the characters were, but they were just skipping time and having like childhood memories. And then it was just like time to kill demons. And I just, they could do better. (laughs) They took a lot of time to do flashbacks in these first three episodes. Oh my gosh. And they do it in the fourth episode also. And yeah, we got another case of we're following the wrong characters. And I know that someone's going to tell us, well, there has to be some kind of arc. And it's like, well, then give it to the, the samurai clan that actually knows what they're doing. They actually had like a bunch of distinct character designs to them. And I, I like this one detail of like the female member of the of that samurai clan who has a scar over part of her chest and it's just like oh so there's this there's like a little bit of visual storytelling there and like the characters were just way more interesting and i i don't get how this is a fantasy series but there's motorcycles they call them steeds and it's just like they're freaking motorcycles don't try to play it off as something else so confused it's so confusing and it's just so boilerplate if it didn't have such a bop of an opening uh, theme song, I would have just thrown this in near the bottom, probably around Requiem of a Rose King. But because of the opening and a few little story details that you find out in the first and uh, fourth episode kind of saves it, but it's still very mediocre. I haven't, we haven't really hit something yet that's, that's just okay in this category it's really just the action adventure category has just been a disaster so far uh mike what do you think i think the biggest problem with this show is that for as gonzo a concept of like steeds that are motorcycles i don't think the show is fun enough not every show needs to be like gurren lagan or konosuba or like you know, something with that, like, high-octane energy. But this just, like, doesn't have that. I'm sure if we were following, like, the other... What do they call, like, Busho or Bushen? Or... Just call them Samurai. Samurai, <laughs> yeah, sure. If we were following, like, that group, we would have, like, a completely different show. Probably one with a lot more gusto, more kinetic energy, that this just, like, doesn't have. That might be a tone problem, that like sometimes the show takes itself a little bit too seriously, especially with the uh, dynamic between the two best friends. I wish this had more um, life to it because it just it feels like it's kind of like 
going through the motions, that's not really going to engage new audiences. Now, again, I'm only talking about the first three episodes. For all we know, like episodes like four onward could be like infinitely better. And this like becomes one of the greatest shows of all time. But judging only by the first three, I'm not feeling this one. Yeah, no, I'm I don't think anyone is feeling this one. (laughs) I, I rarely hear anyone talk about it, but apparently it's getting a dub, you know, before Tokyo 24th Ward, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. It, I just would forgive how boilerplate this action show was if it didn't look so bad. And this studio has made pretty decent stuff before. Like the Kino no Tabi anime, or like the Initial D show, like series, or a few other shows that they have under their belt. But, like, the characters all look so ugly especially background characters oh my goodness the background characters look or secondary characters look awful and the end the end of lackluster animation is underselling the action i mean how cool would it be to see a main character with this cool double-sided pickaxe scythe thing and yet it just it's not as cool as you would think it is the female lead of the trio of characters that we see is introduced in the fourth episode, and she's better than the others, but that's mostly because she has more of a set uh, backstory than the others. And unfortunately, a lot of her backstory includes like like abuse through dialogue and such. And so that's not a whole lot of fun to sit through. I mean, but again, she's the only one who gets character development. Once again, we have a fiery redhead main hero. Nothing stands out about him except his weapon. And at least the other male lead has blonde hair. He's not just a blue-haired boy who's just sad and won't be all the time. So, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. I wish they delve more into how the demons had, like, a focus on, like, the propaganda aspect of, like, how they basically tricked and mind-controlled the humans with propaganda to say that the demons are their saviors. But they don't. So let's move on. Uh, Well, obviously, avoid Orient if you haven't already. So let's move on to a mobile game adaptation with Girls Frontline. It's based off of the mobile game by uh, Mika Team. The anime adaptation is directed by Shigeru Ueda written by Hideyuki Karada and produced by Asahi Productions. After World War III decimated the world's population and rendered large amounts of land uninhabitable, various private military contractors began using combat androids, also known as T-Dolls, to maintain peace in unstable countries. While they are physically superior to flesh and, and blood fighters, Teep dolls are incapable of formulating complex plans and thus require a human commander to issue orders. Sagnus Ferry was an industry-leading tea doll manufacturer until they attempted to install a specialized tea doll as the company's sole commander, resulting in the immediate deaths of everyone at that facility. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Seizing control of Sagnus factories, the rogue AI declared war on the remnants of mankind. Now facing a hostile robot invasion, Griffin and Kruger is the only 
paramilitary organization strong enough to withstand confrontation and halt their destructive advances. Investigating the events related to Sagnus Ferry's aggression, the elite task force Team Anti-Rain searches for highly confidential information in an abandoned warehouse, but they are shortly ambushed, hoping to safeguard their findings. The group temporarily disbands and each doll goes into hiding. Meanwhile, the lazy but gifted Gentiane is hired by Griffin as a rookie commander and given her critical first mission. Track down Team Anti-Rain and recover the classified data before Sagnus Ferry can. So we do actually have this game. For once, we have the mobile game. And for one that is as popular as this one, you would also think they would get like the best people possible for this project. They did not. So, uh, Teresa, what did you think? Thank you for telling me this was a mobile game because that makes the opening credits make more sense somehow. Um, Because I was like, what is this show? Um, (laughs) When I was watching it. I will say that it won me over by episode three a little bit. I like a plot where like the machines are rebelling like in Terminator and there's humans working with machines together to like show you humans are important and we we should not be um, <laughs> massacred. I was very confused in the first episode who was giving orders and who they were talking to because I was like, aren't these robots? Where are the humans? What's up with this? They're just all these angry doll maid ladies killing everybody um the once once i got past the open credits i didn't mind the animation it's just okay though i do like the advanced dolls even though they keep beating them i'm like are they are they going to keep beating them they seem pretty intense i do like the commander and her little story and how she she cares about the dolls she doesn't want them in i don't know why everyone thinks that's so weird because don't you want, even if it's a tank, not to get destroyed? Like, don't you want to save money? Like, I don't know. I was like, isn't it expensive to keep making these dolls? I don't know. Maybe private military, they don't care about spending. I'm vaguely curious to watch another episode. I would like to know, you know, what's up afterwards. I just feel like there's just like one really charismatic character really keeping me. Like, all the characters are just okay. I like their tenacity on paper. Some of the dolls are a little obnoxious. Especially the doll who's scared of spiders. I was like, what? What is that? I like how they have personalities. It's a little, like, robot Sailor Moon with, like, no theme song going on. So, you know, I'm a little curious. It's There's lots of other things you could watch first. But I wouldn't say it's horrible and it's not offensive. Um, so that's a win. I think what's kind of weird about this show is like a lot of these dolls all have like varying degrees of cosplay costumes on and they yeah. all vary in degrees of skimpiness. Uh, yeah. And you kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just me not playing, having played the game. I was expecting this to be a lot campier than it was or a little pulpier. Yeah, or what have serious. you it, it takes itself way too serious this is basically the like a competitor to try to, to beat uh that anime from spring 2021 uh 86 yeah and it it, it almost feels like the same show so it, especially down to the commander who's who gets emotionally connected with the dolls and such i think the animation could have been better 
for all these gun shops and what have you, it feels like, like, because there was a time period in movies where someone would shoot like a gun and then they would cut to someone else falling over where they get shot. They never showed the same, the, the person shooting and the person dying from the shot in the same shot until like the Clint Eastwood and spaghetti Westerns where they were like, Oh, we weren't supposed to show the people getting shot and the people shooting the people getting shot on in the same time. Well, nobody told us that, (laughs) (laughs) but the English dub also is doing its best to make this world seem more interesting than it is. And I can at least say that so far, while the uh, the maid robot enemies, the ones with the machine guns and such, where they have to lift their dresses up for reasons, yeah, it's a little like effective. it's not as lewd as you would think it would be. But maybe it's just because we haven't seen the worst costumes yet from the certain dolls. Because I've seen the wiki of the game, and it's like, oh, oh no. <laughs> Please don't use that design. <laughs> I, it, in part, cynically, part of me thinks that they just used the safest designs because they were the easiest to animate, <laughs> which I don't blame them, especially with the anime industry and such. Uh, Mike, what did you think about this show? Well, first of all, this is the last of the shows that got a dub. So this is probably the last time I'm going to bring up dub bias. But I'd be lying if I said um, I didn't at least partially enjoy this one like the concept yeah is a little a little too close to 86 in terms of like you know the idea of being emotionally connected to you know the soldiers on the front line at least this one is a little bit different in that instead of fighting mechs they're just like you know they're just androids on the battlefield if you haven't seen 86 see that first because that was probably one of the highlights of of last year but this one is i thought enjoyable enough the plot is a little simple and it does kind of feel like it's an adaptation of a of a mobile rpg but it's not like i i got bored at any time watching the show i enjoy these characters just enough to want to keep watching it could have used a little bit more camp a little bit more um energy it did seem like it was taking itself a little bit too seriously but then again, this is like a war series, so there has to be a little bit of gravitas. I think I can solidly recommend this one. I just don't think I can. It's like, if you were going to be more serious, then you wouldn't be dressing up half the characters in French maid outfits. <laughs> Fair point. I don't know. If you're going to do that, then bring up the camp, make a planet terror out of this again, or... Just have more fun with the animation because this show does not ease you into the world of girls frontline. It just drops you into the deep end. And it's not like it's terribly written because the drama is decent because it's by the same writer who helped write the scripts and series composition for stuff like Made in Abyss and Goblin Slayer. Well, I'm not saying Goblin Slayer is good. It's just, you know it had its moments where the drama was actually decent enough. Yeah, I don't have really too much to say. It's fine. It's ultimately harmless. I would just rather watch 86. And I can understand if someone enjoys this. It just really wasn't for me. 
And considering it's the same director as who did the uh, winter 2021 anime Gekido, that one where uh, a huge city from Tokyo just vanishes with no explanation. <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> and we were just, and everyone treats it like it's a, a minor inconvenience. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you could do so much better than Girls Frontline if you wanted to see cute anime girls fighting and such. It just seems like either be serious or just have fun with the, the premise because nobody's going to take this show seriously. So now we move on to Love of Kill. This one was announced last year, and uh, it was one I was actually kind of looking forward to. It's based off of the manga by Faye. It's directed by Hideaki Oba. It's written by Ayumu Hisao and produced by Platinum Vision, the same studio that did 2021's Dr. Rumune Mysterious Disease Specialist, which I thought was a very solid little gem last, in, uh, last year's winter season. Novice bounty hunter Chateau Dankworth never expected to encounter someone capable of overpowering her in combat, even less so that the mysterious man would take an immediate interest in her to the point of aiding her missions. However, Chateau makes it clear that she has no plans of entertaining any personal involvement with him. Chateau's company is soon tasked with eliminating Song Ryong Ha, an expert assassin and a former member of a powerful Asian organization. Coincidentally, Ryong Ha is the man that has been pursuing her, Despite his background, Chateau reluctantly agrees to meet with Yang Ha as part of a deal. In exchange for going out with him, he will provide her with locations of current targets, dead or alive. But when the past begins to haunt both killers, their arrangement may need to come to an end, as their entanglement puts their lives at grave risk. So for me... Despite some production issues and I think a slightly weird tone to have to like get over, like if you like you you would have to gel with this one on a very specific level. I actually was kind of surprised by this one. Now again, production woes notwithstanding, there is a freaking secondary character who has no mouth, and I can't tell if that's an animation error or a like a conscious design decision from the manga or what have you, but it's creepy and it's weird looking. (laughs) It's like that scene in the matrix when Neo's mouth gets glued together. (laughs) Uh, Teresa, what did you think about this one? Interested. Definitely. I think it's the tone. I'm like, this dude is stalking her and it's kind of messed up and we're just okay with this. And she doesn't really react too much. And we don't really see her skills. So I'm a little bit like on paper, he's just saving her over and over again. And I don't know what, I don't like that kind of implication. Like I want to see her being a badass at some point, please. He's just kind of ruining her life. So I'm not into that. Um, And obviously he's, he's, well, this guy's already is. I was like, I don't know why I'm trying to give this guy like he's he's stalking her for sure he's a psycho assassin he doesn't care about killing people he'll do it anytime so it's like of course he's weird and inappropriate 
he's hugging her and he's smelling her, which at first I was like, no, don't touch her. But then he's kind of like, you're the only person that doesn't smell putrid. And I was like, I guess that's interesting. In like a <laughs> cannibal kind of way where you're like, this guy is cuckoo. But like, okay, I can, let's see what's going on. A little bit of pacing issues for me. I thought the first episode was okay, but the second one, I was just like, lots of talking. And then it's like, I don't know, almost like born identity in the forest nonsense. And I was like, okay. And then it just doesn't go anywhere. I was like, are these two going to fight or what? You're like putting it off. And like, who the hell is, I know it's a mystery. They want to, this is how they get you to watch more episodes. But I'm like, just need like a kernel of more information. And then the tone with like the Christmas, Christmas, Christmas stuff with the uh, the assistant. I was like, what is that? That was confusing me um, just a little bit. I'm like, who, why is he wants to date when it's like everybody's out? Aren't you a wanted criminal? It doesn't make sense. I know she comments on it, but I'm just like, how is this guy that good? He's not getting caught by other people besides the guy who's clearly obsessed with him. I do like a show about assassins and I do like the body count. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch episode four and see where it goes. I think this show does a few smart things to kind of help negate the fact that this character is downright stalking this poor detective. They never frame him as like the good guy or she never has a moment where she's like, maybe this guy is a cutie or something like that. She is constantly ready to just shoot him in the head at any point unless he finds a way to get out of the situation or is just already out of there. And he's like, okay, Hey, by the way, there's a body in this uh, storage unit. I don't know if they're alive or not still, but you probably want to check them out anyway. I'm going to go and uh, go up these stairs and shoot someone. (laughs) And the show never seems to like make him look good at any point. I mean, He's an assassin. He's not supposed to be a good guy. He's constantly creepy and unsettling. And there's like that mystery hook of like, there's obviously some kind of connection between the two. And I think that's the one thing that's kind of helping me like, okay, I wouldn't mind seeing how this all unfolds. Though the comedy aspects are just, they do not fit. (laughs) When I first saw this project, I thought it was going to be like a noir kind of thing. Not the genre, but the anime. Just something kind of mysterious and serious. But it's somewhat silly at points, and I just don't think that works. Uh, Mike, what, what do you think about this one? I kind of agree with you about the comedy. It does feel a bit out of place compared to the rest of the show. And yeah, the the uh, the assistant at the uh, at the office with no face, it makes little to no sense. Like even worse than Krillin from Dragon Ball not having a nose. But I can get past that. Like the actual premise of the show is really compelling. I don't know for some reason, like assassins in anime, like that's a very specific niche that like I will always be here for. And yeah, the mystery aspect is really compelling. Song, the assassin, is he's a very interesting character because on the one hand, you kind of hate him for being creepy and definitely stalking uh, Chateau. 
but at the same time, you want to know like what his deal is. You want to know more about his backstory and why he does what he does. That's the thing about these characters. It's like, like yeah, they're ultimately not good people, but they're interesting enough that like you want to learn more. That's why I ultimately recommend this one because they set up a lot of interesting mysteries in these first couple episodes that like, if this is something that interests you, you have to keep going. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if this one just kind of crashes and burns by the end of it. I hope it doesn't. No, I hope it doesn't either. And there will be a dub coming out soon. And our main assassin, Song Ryongha, is going to be voiced by Ryan Colt Levy. If you've seen the recent My Hero Academia World's Heroes mission, he's Rhodey Soul. And if you've seen, like, the Saint's magic power is omnipotent, mm. he plays Yuri Drews, oh, nice. who is a, um, one of the main love interests for our main character. And he's also been in, like, Record of Ragnarok and Jojo Bizarre Adventure and Welcome to Demon School Arumakun as Jazz, one of the best characters ever. Yeah, I think the mystery aspect is handled well enough that you want to keep going. I just hope it's more of a true detective season one or season three and not a true detective season two. Mm, if, yeah. If you know, you know. <laughs> but for now, let's move on to Cloverworks's third show this season. Oh my God, Cloverworks, do not do this again. Just never again. Tokyo 24 Ward. It is a original anime. Be ready. <laughs> uh, it's directed by Naokatsu Tsuda. It's written by Vio Shimokura. An artificial island in Tokyo Bay, Kyokuto Huregai, a Tokubetsu Chiki, Wari Special District, commonly known as the 24th Ward. Childhood friends Ron, Koki, and Shuta, who were born and raised there, have different family backgrounds, hobbies, and personalities, but always hung out together. However, their relationship changes drastically in the wake of a certain incident. At the first anniversary memorial of the incident, the three friends happen to meet again and their phones begin to ring simultaneously. The phone call is from a supposedly dead friend, urging them to choose the future. The three will try to protect their beloved 24th ward, and the future of its people in their own ways. So, out of the three Cloverworks shows, this is the one that had, let's just say, a target on its back. It's an original Cloverworks anime. We saw what happened last year with Cloverworks in original, in the same sentence, with Wonder Egg Priority. And there were already a little bit of rumblings and news stories that this show's production was kind of rough. And I'm not going to lie and say it doesn't show. It kind of does at points. But I kind of overall enjoyed this one. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as my dress-up darling. But I enjoyed it more than a Kebby school uniform. Uh, Teresa, what did you think about this one? It's okay. I like that they're meeting up at the, the restaurant. I thought the opening had really decent music and like, you know, that like head turn kind of montage. I think the tone is all over the place. 
and I feel like the teacher in the first two episodes was like weirdly involved and I wasn't quite sure like how he fits and I'm sure it will be explained I like you know it's kind of like the bullet train dilemma I thought that was like gripping I was really into that obviously I also love dogs so I was like what's gonna happen to the dog and Mari shoot the the main hero guy is a little annoying and, and that's like all of his personality so I hope it gets better I do like the street art guy I'd probably say he's the most kind of fun character um, I like that he's like you know the hacker guy I want to know what's up with this ghost. Like we see in the first uh, like episode, the very beginning and like never again. There's so many flashbacks. It's so hard to keep track. So I want more of the sci-fi stuff, less of the like high school melodrama stuff. I might watch another episode. I, I'm I'm interested, but it, it's not on, you know, in my top five. Understandable. This show, because like I didn't know what this show was going into it. I just knew it was original. It had a, a very cool, vibrant style to a lot of the characters. The, the the trio of main characters are called RGB because one of them has blue hair, one of them has red hair, one of them has green hair. <laughs> Subtle. But it turns into basically anime minority reports. Basically, they get told hey, something's going to happen and you can either do this but suffer this consequence or do this but suffer this consequence. It's basically a show that's reliant on the whole trolley problem of just like you can save one and let multiple people die or kill one and save multiple people. And I went ahead and watched up to episode like five or six it's like it wasn't like the most recent one. It was like the second, the most recent one. And I'm not going to spoil anything. It actually does get better. That second episode is really rough, and that's after the fact that the first episode's an hour long. And then I I kind of understand what what they were doing with the sec the second episode where they were just kind of doing world building and history and such of just like cherishing the past. It definitely picks up at the third and fourth episode. It starts to get a little more interesting. The sci-fi elements hit harder and the writing and the characters are get better as it goes on. But I am very much worried about how this one's going to make, like make its landing. Uh, Mike, what do you think about this one? I'm a little bit worried that this won't stick the landing because, you know, Cloverworks has um, a reputation, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. For now, I actually really enjoyed this. I like how the first episode, you know, you mentioned it's an hour long, but they really do put in the work of like establishing our main characters, their, their personal history, and all of that. The main climax is a literal trolley problem. That's pretty much like what every episode is, or at least episode one and three. Two was really just meat and potatoes exposition. I like the dynamic between these characters. I wish they would argue a little bit less and, you know, get their act together and be the heroes that they clearly want to be. I'm interested in, in this world. I'm interested in like the communal aspect of the, I guess it's like private island or something. There's a lot to like about the show, but I also am worried that I'm worried that the show isn't going to really stick the landing and 
it does kind of take a while for like the bigger picture to to really uh, reveal itself. You get a little bit of a tease at the end of uh, the third episode. And I do want to keep going to like to learn a little bit more about what's going on. But for now, yeah, I definitely recommend this one. I think I'd recommend it more if it just knew how to pace itself better. I kind of wonder if they could have gotten a lot of this done with not making an hour-long episode for the beginning. I kind of understand why they wanted to set everything up. And when, you know, you get that Cloverworks charm and animation polish, it looks great. Oh, yeah. But I do think it looks kind of the weakest of the bunch. I don't know. It just seems like my dress-up darling had a lot more of its resources put into it because it's like you had to make the characters super expressive and very likable and our and the main female protagonist is like has taken the internet and anime community by storm if it's just how likable she is so and this one it's just like it look like tokyo 24 ward looks good but i wouldn't say it looks any better than most of cloverworks other anime I don't think it looks as good as their work from last year. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> I definitely like give it a soft recommendation. So far, it's kind of like a 7 out of 10 or a 3 out of 5. But, you know, such is the action-adventure category for this one. It's mostly 3 out of 5s or less. Except for this last one. And I am so happy this one is doing actually just amazingly well. Sabikui Bisco. It's based off of the light novels and manga by Shinji Kobuko. It's directed by Atsushi Itagaki. It's written by Sadayuki Murai and it's produced by Oz. A plague-like wind blows across the arid, sandy expanse of a post-apocalyptic Japan. As it sweeps over the living and non-living alike, rust is all that remains in its wake. The cause of the uh, catastrophic state of the world is believed to be mushroom spores. And no, we're not heading into the Last of Us territory. For now, hopefully. <laughs> Bisco Akaboshi, known as the man-eating mushroom, is a wanted criminal archer whose arrows instantly grow mushrooms wherever they land. However, he is in truth a mushroom protector, a person who spreads fungi in order to enrich the land and return it to, the, to its previous state. Alongside the crab, Akutagawa, and young doctor Milo Niko Yanagi, Bisco ventures through the wasteland of Japan searching for the legendary Sabikui, a panacean mushroom said to devour all forms of rust. I think I needed to see this anime the most because as we started doing these recap episodes, I got a very narrow-minded viewpoint of what light novels were. They were these power fantasies with a slightly adult edge, which is why most of them were, had harem and little fan service material stuff. And they were all very boring. Which is not true. There are a few good light novels out there, but Sabikui Bisco seems to be like one of the few that seems to want to buck the trend 
of light novels because this show feels like it would it should have come out during the time period of like Cowboy Bebop, Trigun, you know, mm-hmm. that like that one stretch in the 90s where anime was able to get out of the rut and the quagmire of being ultra-violent, rampantly misogynistic OVAs and such to be like, here's an interesting world, and it's not just copy-pasted from Fist of the North Star or Mad Max. I freaking love this show. (laughs) We'll get into it a little more as we all go around talking about it and gushing about it. Uh, Teresa, what did you think about this one? Uh, yeah, I loved it. I love our character, Bisco. He's a little flea. In this case, don't mind fiery redhead. It's great. I like the whole first episode where he's posing as the monk. Definitely gave his like reveal a little bit more punch. I like Milo. I'm not sure about the Milo-sister relationship. Not that it got explored that much, but it got a little weird when he falls on her boobs when they were fighting. And I was like, what's this? Don't do that. I like that they call him dr panda i thought that was really cute i like that there's like a whole mystery of like kind of who you know around the mushroom and the rust and like the government cover-up like element i thought that was really great and i just freaking love all the mushrooms exploding everywhere it looks freaking cool jobby is the best old man mentor i hope we see more of jobby and milo's sister really has a bee in her bonnet and she needs to listen but I love the OP. I can see how it kind of is a little reminiscent of like Trigun and those other series of like really hyping it up. Um, but yeah, I'm all aboard all the episodes, please. And must we forget the best crab in anime? Their trusted yes. companion. I was like, you're making this crab look really cute. And I don't know. <laughs> Even though it's like the biggest crab ever. There are like monstrous creatures in this show. And yet... The crab looks the cutest. They definitely got down how terrifying hippos can be. <laughs> yes, and look about the gun to them. I thought that was cute too. Yeah, no, that was a fun scene. Seeing Bisco pick one up and just toss it anime style, and I think that's what I kind of like about this show. It has its little bits of anime nonsense, like yeah, the whole brother sister part where she knocks him out and says like. Oh, she just happens to fall on her boobs. And it's like, okay. But the show doesn't, like, at least for what I've watched, and I've almost watched all the episodes of it, is very, uh, what's the term? Light on that aspect of anime nonsense. There is this one scene that you see in the trailers of uh, Dr. Panda kissing this pink-haired girl, and then just, like, when he pulls away this giant grub of a worm pops out of her mouth. That will be explained. Mm-hmm. It's in episode four. So just prep yourself for that. I just love how cohesive this show is that it's, it wants to be its own thing. And I just adore it for that. And I'm glad that the sister, while maybe hard of hearing or just understanding does have a personality and that she does not let the rust define her. Because she's like, she could still kill you if she wanted to. <laughs> but it also kind of reminds you of something like Sakugan. In a way where it just has this cool, really well-crafted world around it. Uh, Mike, what do you think? 
God, I love this show so much. This is like pretty much everything that I love about anime. It has a really great core premise. The characters are all wonderful. I especially love like the heavy metal uh, background music during like all the fight scenes. That was great. This is probably one of the easiest shows that I can that I can recommend. You know, especially if you're one of those like old school anime fans. You know, like you mentioned, shows like Outlaw Star, Cowboy Bebop, Trigun, you know, those classics. This this kind of feels like it's standing on those shoulders. I also kind of love how both factions kind of see themselves as like the heroes of the story. Like there's a really big uh, propaganda aspect with the whole uh, the government kind of pushing this narrative that the mushrooms are the ones spreading the rust where as we learn later on no that's bs and bisco is the real hero and i kind of hope they keep exploring that angle i just want to see more adventures with bisco and uh dr panda they just really did a like a really great job uh setting up this show for all the success i am so impressed with this show and i just love its lore and the politics within it and it's just a very creative world i will say it gets so much more fun as it goes on and while its comedy doesn't always land anything with the crab is consistently funny as hell and and i'm just saying this as someone who's watched all the episodes that have come out so far yeah i mean i know i kind of complained about it like oh we got a fiery redhead and a mild-mannered blue-haired guy but it works out so well they have like their own personality they're they're not just blank slates and this is animated by a first-time studio that's impressive to me i have never heard of this light novel and i've never heard of this studio and again for good reason they are new (laughs) um yeah, no, it, it's just great in action. It's a lot of fun. This is a show that knows that you're there for the action. And the the heavy metal is a lot of fun. They they keep finding creative, fun ways to approach creature designs. And, and it also has a dub, so I'm pretty happy for that. But yeah, it's like if you're looking for like a really solid old school anime, something like what, again, Sakugan or Megalobox have done, with their kind of like approach to pseudo old school post-apocalyptic anime. I definitely recommend this one. I I mean, obviously we all highly recommend it. That's it. That's the winter season. Before we get out of here, I want to know everyone's top five anime of the winter 2022. I think I have enough to do a top six, but I'll try a top five. So out of this part two, of course, Sapikui Bisco, and then Salary Man's Club. And then for the first part, Sasaki and Miyano, Ms. Kuroitsu from the Monster Development Department, Life with an Ordinary Guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout. Golly, there, but there's like Quite a few I could easily do, like more like adding the Genius Prince's Guide to Raising a Nation Out of Debt, My Dress Up Darling, and Slow Loop. Like, it's it was still a pretty fruitful season. It's just like its best anime just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I guess top five. 
uh, Sabikui Bisco, Salary Man's Club, Sasaki and Miyano, Ms. Kuroitsu, and Life with an Ordinary Guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout. Teresa, your top five? Uh, pretty similar. I'd say Salary Man's Club, Sabikui Bisco, Sasaki and Miyano, of course. That's my favorite. I would actually throw in Slow Loop. I felt like it was very sweet. Um, and then Miss Karutsu from the Monster Development Department. All of ours are going to be pretty similar. My top five would be uh, Sabikui uh, Bisco is my number one. My number two would probably be Sasaki Miyano. Then we have my dress-up darling. I would then say Tokyo 24th. And for number five... Salaryman's Club. Yeah, this season has been, it's been an interesting one. Only one show has been like truly awful, at least for me, while the rest range from like, like, okay, to, you know, this could use a lot more work to these shows are awesome and I would definitely recommend them. Hopefully the uh, spring 2022 is a little bit more consistent, but we will cross that bridge when we get there. For now, Teresa, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me on at uh, Teresa Electro on all social platforms, Twitter, Facebook. My blog is also that, TeresaElectro.wordpress and Instagram. And Cameron? You can find me on Twitter um, at CamsEyeView. I run my own website called CamsEyeView.biz where I review animated shows and films from around the world called The Other Side of Animation. And I also have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash CamsEyeView. If you like my work or like my reviews and you'd like to throw in some support, that you can go there to see if you're interested. And you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. And you can find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also look for us on Podchaser. You can also find us on the Banana Meter. You can listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, Everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.